Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Asking for a Friend podcast, an elder-led ministry of Believer's Baptist Church in Emory, Texas. My name is Duffy Henderson, and I'll be your host. The Asking for a Friend podcast exists as a weekly resource for the edification and benefit of God's people. Here, we hope to provide helpful, thoughtful, and most importantly, biblical material as we address everyday life questions and issues. If you find this podcast helpful, please take a few moments to share it with someone that you think would also benefit from it. Thanks for listening in, and may the Lord bless this podcast greatly to you as a means of grace for your spiritual growth and benefit. We hope that you'll enjoy today's episode. Well, today I'm joined once again as we begin a new series for for the month of April. I'm joined by Jason Rowland and Philip Castleton. How are you brothers this morning? Doing wonderful, thank you. Yes, it is a uh, another beautiful day that the Lord has given us right here at the end of March, twenty twenty two. Yes, yes. Yeah, we have gone from uh, thirty degree temperatures to eighty five degree temperatures in the course of a week. It's been it's been pretty uh, pretty much of a roller coaster ride. It has. Um, I don't know what to wear when I wake up now. Like, do I get a jacket out? Is it going to be raining? Do I need to put shorts on? <laughs> I see you did wear your shorts. I almost wore mine today, but yeah. Uh, I needed to get comfortable for yeah. for our recording session. Right. right. Well, uh, we are jumping into a couple of unique episodes for the Asking for a Friend podcast today. Um, this week's episode, as well as next week's episode, we're going to be considering two chapters of the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith. Some of you may know this already. If you're a part of our church, we are teaching through this in order to uh, pose this to adopt this confession of faith um, to our church's statement of faith. So we're teaching through it on Sunday mornings, and the idea today and for next week's podcast is to cover these two chapters that are pretty deep and pretty heavy doctrinally, and we wanted to discuss them further, use this as a resource that supplements our Sunday morning teaching. And so this morning, or we're here recording chapter three, we're going to be looking at chapter three of the confession um, entitled God's Decree, and it's pretty lengthy. And we're going to be using um, Founders Ministries' uh, modern English version of the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith as the guide. We realize that there are several translations um, going back to the Old English, and you may not have the same translation, but hopefully you can follow along as we go through this confession uh, chapter. So let's begin, guys. Um, This morning we're going to be looking at chapter 3, like I said, God's Decree. And let me just read the first paragraph, and we're going to go through this systematically today on this episode. And so just follow along if you have a copy. All right, paragraph one. From all eternity, God decreed everything that occurs without reference to anything outside himself. He did this by the perfectly wise and holy counsel of his own free will, or his own will, freely and unchangeably. Yet God did this in such a way that he is neither the author of sin, nor has fellowship with any in their sin. This decree does not violate the will of the creature or take away the free working or contingency of second causes. On the contrary, these are established by God's decree. In this decree, God's wisdom is displayed in directing all things, and his power and faithfulness are demonstrated in accomplishing his decree. Now, to get things going, Philip, I know you've been teaching through this confession um, with us uh, in our church, in our local church. Help us get the conversation started today 
What's this first paragraph really communicating to us? Well, it really just lays out. It's God's uh, decree in general. I mean, it's an overview, if you will. I mean, it doesn't get down into the specifics of the decree necessarily. It just talks about um, what God has done and what's affected, if you will, what God has done or what hasn't ultimately affected what God has done, the free agency of God in, in, in decreeing what he has. That's really what's being established in this first one. There, he, there are a couple of um, side notes, uh, particularly um, uh, he, he, they talk about God not being the author of sin. Uh, so it, it, uh, it talks, it basically it leaves man responsible, God's decree, and it removes, so it removes the idea of man being an automaton or some kind of robot. Um, the decree is clear to make that statement. It also uh, denies fatalism when it talks about uh, second causes and and uh, contingent uh, things that uh, that work because of contingencies, so he in fact established those things in his decree. So it, um, it's careful not only to declare that God has decreed all things that will come to pass, but he also is very clear in this in this first thing to set aside the notion that man is a robot and um, ultimately fatalism. And then um, finally, the very last statement. Um, in the very last statement, he actually establishes that God in his wisdom, power, and authority is revealed in God's decree. So those are really, it's a general statement. He'll get more particular as we move forward and, and all these things. But that's really what's being covered. What do you think, Jason? I agree. I think, I think that paragraph one does tell us particularly that God is, um, that the, the decree of God is absolutely universal. Um, and the Bible certainly uh, asserts that, but the Bible also asserts, uh, I think, specifically some of the things that you were just alluding to, Philip, um, good and evil um, events, um, man's free will, uh, sinful acts, um, chance, I put that in air quotes, chance occurrences, uh, personal details of people's lives, of their deaths. So all of those things are asserted specifically in the Bible, and those all fall under God's decree. Yeah, and I think that one thing that's very helpful, I know that um, maybe listener, this this is a deep doctrinal dive for some, uh, some of you, and I know that it was for me at one point as well, uh, as for all of us, but this is just simply communicating, if, if this isn't an oversimplification, that God has decreed all things that will come to pass. He knows what will come to pass, but he also um, has decreed that he the use of means he uses us to this idea of second causes you you've brought about this so he's um, we, we're going to get into that later but it, taking uh, the idea of salvation he's decreed that um, some would be saved and some would not that's according to the counsel of his his own will and good pleasure as we see in Ephesians chapter one but he's used us decreed the use of us as means to communicate the gospel yes. right um, he doesn't just zap people. Um, in a, you know, in that sense. So he's, he uses, uh, he uses means by which his decree in time is accomplished. Right. I think and, that the key phrase that we see throughout the scripture that kind of alludes to this is this uh, idea, um, whatsoever came to pass, whatsoever yes. comes to pass. Yes. Um, Psalm 115 verse three, uh, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Yes. Daniel 4, 35. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. 
and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Uh, those are just two references well, that come to mind that that set forth this idea of the universality of God's decree. Well, absolutely. We have the same thing in Isaiah uh, 46, uh, 9b and following. It says, I am God, there is none like me, declaring the end <clears throat> from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done. Right. So we have God declaring what will happen. Right? Yes. Even, not... even the, the popular New Testament uh, verse that everybody would be familiar with in Romans chapter 8, mm-hmm. uh, verse 28 and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Right. Yes, and uh, exactly. Again, um, I think going back to what you were saying, Duffy, and what Philip was saying is uh, he, were making, he was making those opening comments. Um, we're saying that God has decreed all things, all details, every person's life, every person's conception, the color of their eyes, yes. where they live. Um, what nations are in power, who are the leaders of those nations, who dies by COVID, who doesn't die by COVID. Right. Yeah. Yeah, we, we're saying that God has decreed all these things. Yes. And that is a huge uh, paradigm to, to wrap your mind around. It really is. We want to acknowledge that. We know that there are some that will struggle with this uh, and continue to struggle with this concept of if God, we, we like to, you know, coffee cup theology says God is in control. We wear it on our t-shirts. Um, he is in control, but the practical outworkings of that control, sometimes we, we kind of buck at, right? Yeah. We think, oh, well, he's in control, but right. I got to do this part or I got to I gotta accomplish this. And to a degree that is true, but that's only because of the decree before time, right. um, according to the counsel of his will. Well, and that's so, important. That's important that you bring that up because the, 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 obviously the text, um, our paragraph one, the text in their paragraph in the London Baptist Confession actually says as much, right? It says that he had freely done it from all eternity by ultimately by his most wise and holy counsel, right? Because of his own will, freely and unchangeably, right? Ultimately, the, this is something that he did with, uh, without something outside of himself acting upon him. Right, he and 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 his decree is immutable in the sense that it it will not change, it cannot change. Right, right. right. Just as God is unchanging, so is His word unchanging. Um, so it, it's those things. Um, and but, it's holy. It's holy, Philip. I interrupted you. Oh, you're absolutely right. It's holy. Yeah, go so ahead. It is perfect. So there's no there's no uh, flaw in it. There's nothing that is. Um, can be perceived as incorrect or unfair, if we want to use that word. Yeah, right. and and if I may pull two references from Scripture that deal with this, you may know it right off the uh, right off the top of your head, Philip, or you, uh, Jason. The the text in um, basically when at the end of the book of Job, when God answers and kind of we're in the courtroom, so to speak, uh-huh. and Job has has given his plea to explain things. And God says, who are you, O man? Yeah. And I believe that's in Romans 9, if I'm not mistaken, or 10. Yeah, 9, um, who are you, O man? Um, who are you, O man? And I can't remember the exact Job reference right off the, off the top of my head. But basically, um, there's this, and also we see in Isaiah, starting in chapter 40 um, and following, we see this, that the Lord is... The creator, he is the sovereign. He has made everything. All things are under his purview. He is the uh, 
the alpha, right? right. We, we know this and that all other things are subject to him. Yeah, and where we do damage, I think, where we do violence to this is because what we, what we know practically uh, is that we, we do things and we make decisions. Um, you know, there's only so, you know, so we, we see that, we assume then that, um, and, and rightly so, that we're volitional creatures, and we are. But then we can't, we can't and the, uh, understand how God can ordain all things to be exactly as they are and yet not um, interfere with my volitional choices. And though the Bible puts forth both of these truths, it doesn't seem to um, offer up for us the answers. In fact, if we were to go and look up the scriptures here that, 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 are, that make these definitive statements about who God is and the decrees he makes, it, and when we talk about in a minute the fact that you know, man is volitional and he, it doesn't make him an, a, a robot, an automaton, right? It, it, we, these are free things we know. These are um, definitive statements that are made by scripture, but he doesn't necessarily offer us up um, that that but between those two statements, which would make sense of it for us, and so we we are left oftentimes to speculation, and I guess this is the point I'm trying to get to. We're left to to speculate then how God can be free and how man in his um in his volition right in his I don't like the term free will, but nevertheless in his the freedom of his will within his nature and so forth, creaturely freedom, how he actually does what it is he wants to do, and how these two things um work together, right, or are, are working, uh, you know, in, in, in union or, or whatever without being uh, God violating man or man violating God. And um, we are left then to try to understand these things, and, and they're not easy. In fact, I would say they're ultimately impossible, right? We understand that man is, has uh, responsibility. God declares what he declares, and it's going to happen, and yet man is still held responsible. And I say that ultimately um, impossible in, in giving a definitive um uh, explanation because when people respond to Paul, uh, you know, with this whole notion that if God is in control of all things, how can he still find fault? You know, Paul ultimately answers that question, especially when posed from a a, a, a reasoning that is searching for a way to get out from under God's uh, decree, right? A way to say God aside and, and dismiss what he has ordained. When that question arises, it arises from a heart that is questioning the creator-creation distinctive. And Paul says, you don't get to do that. God says, this is what I've done, and you are responsible for what you do. Suck it up. Own it. Believe it. This is the way it is. And that's what I was telling someone the other day when they were asking me how it worked out. I said, you know, I, I don't know that I can give you a definitive answer, but I can say this. I can say that when you stand before God on judgment day with your mouth closed, as Romans 1 says, you will not have the excuse, well, God, you made me do it. You'll stand there with your mouth closed, realizing that your sin was yours. You yep. did it. Yep. You wanted to do it. You owned it. And you weren't coerced to do it. That's you right. You weren't forced to do it. And this, I mean, this whole conversation, we can bring in so many things. We can bring in um, the strong doctrine of, of sin that the Bible presents. It's not a weak doctrine of sin right. that we're, we're kind of messed up. You know, we hear a lot of times that we're broken and we're, you know, that terminology in, in popular Christianity that we're, we're, we're messed up, but we're really okay. We just need to kind of get back to a, a good place and we need Jesus to kind of help us to get back up on our feet. 
in that sort of sense. And so speaking to this, 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 uh, this conversation of the divine decree of God and man's responsibility and man's uh, free creatureliness within the confines of his will, right? right. And we're not going to talk about the free will of man on uh, this particular podcast so much. But the confession does give a small chapter to man's will, which is helpful. But but, but we have to at least mention it because we do. Because we the do. point is the decree here is making sure. clear that violence is not offered to the will of the creature Correct. in God's decree. And Correct. yet God has still defined Correct. and decreed all things that will come to pass. That's right. Including every action that uh, man in his creaturely freedom chooses to do. Exactly. So God has decreed it. Man does it. God is not responsible for the the violation of God's law, and man is. Correct. And this, this, so we can't avoid this topic if we're going to do justice to the decree. Correct, correct. Let's let's think about this. Sure. Just remember... When we talk about the 1689 um, Baptist Confession of Faith, we're talking about um, a summary of the text um, of the Scripture that teach us um, these things, uh, like the decree of God, or they teach us about uh, the Lord's Supper or baptism. or uh, They've taken all the texts that reference these thoughts and brought it down to a summary to say this is... Uh, a confession of exactly, that. and so w- what we're yep. saying here, as we work through these um, particular chapters, chapter three is what we're trying to address now, and and this this idea of God's decree. Um, so let's go back just for a moment to what you were saying about Job, and what we were saying that man can't argue. Um, so Job thirty eight. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's good. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Now, I'm not going to read all that God says here to Job, but you get the gist of it as you think about those first two verses. You know it all, Job. You've got all the answers. You set everything in place, so you tell me how all these things come to pass, in, yes. in, in other words. Yes. Now, going to what Philip was just talking about and, and, and thinking about the first uh, paragraph, and um, all of these things then come to pass uh, by God's perfectly wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably, yet, and this is what you were talking about just a moment ago, God did this in such a way that he is neither the author of sin, nor has fellowship with any in their sin. In other words, God doesn't participate in anyone's sin, nor does he cause anyone to sin. That's right. Um, And James chapter 1 is very clear on that. Uh, You probably remember uh, James writing about this. He says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And so um, even though God's decreed all things, and that includes evil, and man's choices and decisions that um, are evil, uh, he's not participating nor causing that person to um, do the act of sin. 
Yeah. yeah. I think I think one of the reasons we're so prone to try to um, look for an explanation is because we've been influenced in a real sense by a pragmatic culture who seeks to who seeks to um, get God off the hook for some things because it'll make him more palatable to a culture. Remember, God's word is written to his people, right? He's explaining uh, to us who he is. And he doesn't, he doesn't, he can say, I've decreed all things and you're responsible. And he, and he needs not explain why, right? And so we, I think it's, I think it's a reasonable um, uh, endeavor to try to understand why. I don't think that's a, I don't think that's in and of itself a bad thing. Yes, correct. And if I can jump in really quickly there, it's, it's okay for us to search and to desire to, I mean, we, he's given us his word, so we, we should pour into this word, right? And he's given us some information, but we shouldn't go so far as to go outside the bounds. And some people will do this is they'll, they'll come up with, uh, they'll lean on rationality, to explain things. And this is where you get into this, uh, I believe, an error of elevating philosophy above the Word of God. I believe philosophy is a good thing, but it's it's subservient ulti- ultimately to what God has laid out in Scripture. Our philosophy ought to be informed by Scripture, right. not the other way around. And so there is room for that, I think, in our uh, and our cognitive abilities to well, as rational beings, yes. God, we're ha- there's a certain responsibility that comes along with being rational, which means of that course. God, we're we're meant to please God and honor God with our minds, That's right? right? That's so, right. So, uh, um, seeking to understand who God is and what how He has acted. Right, uh, that's not a bad thing, as long as, like I said, you said it doesn't br- take us to the point of re- because I can't um, rationalize these two um, truths and I can't make perfect sense of them, then I will abandon. At that point, what you've done is you've said, God, I am requiring of you, right? I'm, I'm, I'm requiring of you to to meet certain standards for me, or I will reject you, right? I'm, 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 ex- I'm, I require of you to, to, um, make yourself knowable for, in the way that I want it to be known. Yes. You want, yeah. Yes. Exactly. Want you if you don't cross the Satisfactory to me. Yes. I will let you know when it's satisfactory, Lord. And this right. is why, <laughs> this is why we've actually dealt with ultimately when we talked about the Holy Scriptures, right? Yes. They're authoritative. Yes. Without... Uh, because because they're God's word, not because I give them credence or because I believe them. Right now, there are there are good reasons to believe them, but they're authoritative whether I believe them or not. So what God says about Himself in the in these in in these things, which is this is simply a summary of right that God has decreed all things and man is responsible. Those are two truths I must accept. Now, um, maybe maybe I, maybe I'm, I'm I'm a very bright man. And God, um, in his uh, grace, has seen fit to illumine me through his word in a way that I, I may have a greater understanding than another. Well, if that's the case, if that's the case for you, wonderful. But um, if you try and ultimately um, to, to justify all of these things, we're bound to do what we will with the Trinity or anything else and end up being a heretic. Right. Because he leaves a bit of mystery in between these is, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. That's exactly right. Yeah. The the line that um, uh, speaks uh, to some of our thought here in this first paragraph, chapter three, this decree does not violate the will of the creature or take away the free working or contingency of second causes. So um, 
going back to the idea that man is responsible for his evil choices and decisions and that ultimately we are accountable to God, uh, even though God has decreed all things to come to pass. And man then does answer eternity in eternity for his sin, ultimately his rejection of, yes. of Christ. So, Yeah, and these two, um, these two things, like Philip was just saying, these are hard to wrestle with. They are two seemingly contradictory realities that Scripture presents as um, not contradictory, but um, I don't know a good word, but they're to be held side by side. Antinomy. Um, sure, I don't know that word now. Well, there are two things that seem to be um, um, they seem to be uh, against it, each other, but they are they aren't. Yes, an appearance of contradiction, um, but. You hold them in tension. There's a tension there, and I think that Scripture holds many things in a healthy tension. Um, that is part of the divine mystery. Some of the secret things are, are of God. Um, uh, we see that in Scripture as well. But I think one of the before we move on to the second paragraph, one of the the crowning uh, New Testament texts. There are several. Is Ephesians chapter one, where we see this explicit language and the the confession. Uh, footnotes, Ephesians chapter 1, speaking of verse 11. Ephesians 1, 11 reads this, In him we have obtained an, an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, speaking of God the Father, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, the Father's will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. So we see this pre pre-creation uh, decree and this election of whoever he so chooses. And all of this is to the praise of his glory. And that's where all of our reasoning and our rationality must end in that. And we must ultimately rest in that truth that even if we can't fully grasp it, this is the ultimate end for which all of these tensions that we see are that this is the end of those tensions is for the praise of his glory. Well, and that's actually how the decree, um, the paragraph one ends, right? In which appears his wisdom, power, and faithfulness, right? Amen. God is glorified and, 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 and revealed in his decree because he shows he's wise, he's powerful, and he's faithful. That's right. right? And so you're absolutely right. All these things ultimately prove themselves for God's glory. Well, let's move on to paragraph two. The subsequent paragraphs in chapter three are a little bit shorter, and they really are outworkings of paragraph one. Right. So paragraph two reads, God knows everything that could happen under any given conditions. However, his decree of anything is not based on foreseeing it in the future or foreseeing that it would occur under such conditions. This is an incredible couple of sentences here. Philip, would you kick us off here? Uh, sure. You know what? Um, if I could put this in a real uh, decree comes before knowledge, not knowledge before decree. That's right. Right. We get the cart before the horse if we think that God decreed because He knew. With well, the, the 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 summary of this statement is God decreed, therefore He knew, not God knew, therefore He decreed, and. Um, Romans 9 makes this really clear when he says that there were two sons, right, born to Rachel, um, uh, Jacob and Esau, and 
when they were born, God had chosen Jacob and not Esau before they were born and before either one had done either anything good or bad, really. He he didn't look down the corridor of time and go, "Uh, Jacob's going to be a pretty good guy and he's going to choose me. Um, Esau's going to wander away, so I'll choose. No, 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 no. He chose on the basis of his will, his sovereign will. We were talking about this a little bit before. Not, not only that, but we see in Matthew 11, you know, uh, in or Luke 10, a, a parallel passage where God, um, Jesus himself is actually saying there that Sodom and Gomorrah and, and, um, and Chorazin, you know, would have been, all would have repented had they had had the same kind of light that Capernaum had had, had right? Um, and we see God, Jesus there, knowing what would have happened had he given light in a certain situation, right? But yet not having acted upon that knowledge, right? It was that way because God had decreed it to be so. Um, this is in Matthew eleven twenty and following. And so really that, it's really, it's the unconditionality of his decree is what's being dealt with in paragraph two. Right. The, the fact that, that no one was there when God decreed, um, and nothing existed when God decreed, and yet he decreed it, all, all things that would come to pass. Right. It's, he's not a supercomputer, you know, in the sense that, um, you know, he's, he's, he looks down the corridor of time, sees what will happen in every world, in every contingent possible world, right, um, and then says, okay. Uh, in fact, this is actually a, a heresy that's held by some, that this is how God has acted in, in our in creation and in, in everything, in his providence. And he's looked down the corridors of time. He has looked in the head. He's taken every possible world into consideration. And then he says, well, in this world, I get the most people saved, right? And so he creates a world in which right now Jason's wearing a purple shirt and got headphones on, uh, you know, and, and, and New Balance tennis shoes, right? And I'm sitting with my regeneration shirt and you're sitting over there with that um, short sleeve blue shirt on. I mean, you know, he's created this world that's happened just now and everything in it simply because in this uh, world that the, the most people are being saved. And yet he's completely, um, and um, he, he is a wonderful reactor and responder because he, he functions in light of man's actions very, very well. But um, it leaves man as autonomous and God as, as some kind of supercomputer. There's actually heresy out there that, that, that lends itself to that understanding. And, the, and this paragraph two would say, absolutely not. The correct, Bible does correct. not represent that. It does not, it does not um, give itself over to that in any way. God decreed, therefore he knows, not the other way around. Before we get into um, the next paragraph, though, I... I these first two paragraphs and the discussion that we've gone through the first part of this podcast episode would um, raise up all kinds of questions. And you've uh, said it a couple of times already, Philip, but um, I can imagine a listener hearing and trying to listen carefully and think through what was being said and saying, well, if God's decreed everything, you know, why pray? Why go to worship? Why try to avoid sin? Why not do whatever I, my flesh it, um, uh, desires and live my own life? Why do I have to um, make an effort to do these things right. that are um, required of us in Scripture? Um, if God's decreed all things, then then it, it does bring a sense of fatalism. It 
you well, know, if you're not thinking correct, correct, it, it can lead to a sense of fatalism. But and those are heartfelt questions. Yes, they are. Those, That's why I bring it to them. Those are those attention. are questions that um, are, I mean, truly heartfelt. I, I understand those. I can sympathize. I've had questions myself personally about those types of things, but. There's this decree that we see in Scripture that God has ordained all that will come to pass. He knows what will come to pass. But we also have His Word, which is full of commands for His people to obey and follow. And so we can't just sit on a couch and let um, let just life happen. You know, whatever comes, you know, God's decreed it, so I don't need to go to church because um, I'm saved. And whatever he's going to do, he's going to do regardless of me. No, we have to come back to this. He has ordained that we have the use of means. Right. Well, it, actually, the first paragraph deals with that. Right. And, and it, when it deals with Correct. fatalism, in Correct. essence, it denies it in two ways. Man is volitional and God uses means. Correct. It, that's, a, that's a paraphrase of what right. you're saying. Exactly. And it contains, it's like yes. it causes. But, but God uses means, right? So right. Why, why pray? Because God will work through that prayer to accomplish what he's going to accomplish. That's right. right. Why come to church? Because the ordinary means of grace That's right. Right, is, is the way that God actually brings about our sanctification. Why witness to your neighbor? Because God has said it's through the proclamation, through a, a mankind's proclamation That's right. of the gospel that he He changes hearts and apply, and the Holy Spirit does a regenerative work in, in man. So yeah. he uses these means to, to deny those means is ultimately fatalistic. But that's the that's the that's the rub, right? They're honest questions. But what we're what we're left with is either God has revealed Himself in Scripture or He hasn't, right? If He has, it's authoritative, and this is how He said it: "I've declared all things; you're responsible." I have said, I have declared the the beginning from the end, and you must pray, and you must obey, and you must whatever. Right. So he's declared these two things. And though we're never going to be able to marry those things ultimately in our mind right. perfectly, um, if we land anywhere else, we're ultimately refusing. You know, it's like Peter said, well, do you, when Jesus said, do you want to go away? And he says, where would I go? Right. You yeah. have the words of life, right? right. Where else are you going to go? Right. The scripture gives us the truth. Right. I would rather be there than um, denying the reality of what. God has decreed. Um, last night, had a conversation with a lady, and um, it was very heartfelt, you know. And she, it was a, it was actually a membership interview, and she's been coming, and and uh, she said, "Y'all talk about the sovereignty of God a lot." And she said, "I just uh, struggle with it." And she was just heartbroken because of a son who um, is in uh, deep sin. And um, he can't, she can't reach him. And, um, you know, it just broke her heart. And we all wound up, uh, at least several of us around that table last night, just weeping because she said, I know that God is good. And I know God has decreed these things or he is sovereign in his decree. That is, he has the power and the authority to carry out what he's decreed. That's what sovereignty is. He rules. Um, yes. And... He's, he's brought about this thing, and so I trust that, but it's so hard. Well, and, and, uh, and, and yes, and that, that's part of the reason why we want to do these podcasts, because these, 
these truths that we see in Scripture with these tensions, man, these, these hit us right in, in the, the, the deepest center of our emotions and our feelings because yes. we're, we're people. We're human. Um, we feel sorrow and we have desires for reconciliation with family members and friends. And we know that some, Scripture teaches that we know that some will not come to saving faith in, uh, in Christ. That's just a, it's a, it's explicit in scripture. We know that some will and some won't. And we have no idea who that is. That's up to God. That's part of the decree. I mean, that's for another podcast. Well, that's actually chapter, uh, the third paragraph. It's, we're getting to that. Yes. A little bit. Yes. And, uh, talking about why some are saved and why some are not. And those are some deep heartfelt questions. Right. Um, so let's move forward just a little bit. Inter- Let me interrupt oh, you just ahead. a second. Go ahead, Jason. Because that's why I brought that between chapter um, 3, 2, and 3, 3. That this, just to come to the listener and say, we know it's hard. We we know, we, we don't have answers as to why God decreed this thing and, and to, in your life. Uh, I mean, I've told the story about the, the family that we grew up with as children and we did things together and she had five children, and we went on a youth retreat, and one drowned. One died as a heart attack when he was 40 years old. The only daughter, the axle, broke in her car, flipped the car, killed her. Um, the, um, the One of the other sons got his leg in a grain auger and just chewed it off, and he's had all kinds of physical problems. Uh, another one... Um, is in a homosexual lifestyle. So that out of those five, and then her husband dies of cancer. Yeah. Wow. Why does God decree that for that woman? Yeah. I don't know, but she's got a sweet spirit. She's accepted these things. She loves the Lord. She's well, and, and that, that sort of situation, uh, I believe it was at John Newton that went through that, uh, that horrible situation of losing his family or am I mistaken? Uh, the hymn writer who wrote, no, not John Newton. It is well with my soul. He wrote that yeah, out of a Horatio Spafford. Spafford, yes. That reminds me of that situation too. Yeah, and yeah. we don't know why God allows or has decreed that, to use that terminology. Yeah. Right. It's beyond yeah, us. Right. Yeah, and one thing else that we need to be clear, and I, and I, and I keep coming back to this because I think that I have actually talked to so many people that have had similar stories, right, to you, that have ultimately decided – because of evil, because of these things, this is why they either won't believe in God or they say uh, they won't believe in the God that's represented in Scripture. And, and what we need to recognize is though we don't understand and we're not denying the pain and the reality of, of these circumstances, it whether I believe God to act this way or not doesn't change the fact that he acts this way. Yeah. So whether I believe he does it or don't believe it does it. His word says he does it. Right. And um, and so it, it, there's ultimately, you know, I, I remember R.C. Sproul talking one time about when he first became aware of God's sovereignty and all that kind of stuff. He said, at first, I, I see the Bible plainly teaches it and I didn't like it. Exactly. Right? Yes. He said, at, at some point, um, I, I began to say, pray, Lord, um, I don't like this. There's so many implications that, that I don't like, but I know what the Bible says. This is true. And, and in the context of that prayer, God has changed his heart and he began to see God's sovereignty as, um, as a warm blanket to rest in and not something that 
that left him in limbo. Yeah, that's good. That's and, uh, good. I'm sorry, I interrupted. You were no, going. No worries. Chapter, uh, no, just want to keep. Three. Yeah, oh, three, three. We just want to keep this moving. We this could be a a very long episode if we uh, if we let it. So let's keep moving um, into the third paragraph of the of chapter three. It reads, "By God's decree, and for the demonstration of His glory, some human beings and angels are predestined or foreordained to eternal life through Jesus Christ." to the praise of his glorious grace. Others are left to live in their sin, leading to their just condemnation, to the praise of his glorious justice. Now, before we jump into this paragraph, um, listener, especially if this is something, if this is a new concept, this paragraph um, is huge in 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 the discussion of salvation and man's standing before God. Um, Jason, would you kick us off with this particular paragraph and just talk about this dichotomous relationship between those that are predestined and those who are left to live in their sin? Well, let's uh, immediately go to the fact that God is perfect in all of his ways. Amen. He is just in all of his dealings. So there is nothing that God does that would be irrational. Um, there's nothing that God do that would God would do that would be frivolous. There would be nothing that God would do that contradicts any of His character. So the fact that He would, in His um, wisdom and mercy, select a people that the Son would redeem, and those people in time are coming to salvation, does not make God evil, um, indifferent. Um, does not make God in any way other than what he's presented as in Scripture, which is fair, just, righteous, perfect, holy, all these characteristics that explain him. So then what we have to come to realize is that all people deserve eternal damnation. All people, that's where all people go, um, who um, deservingly are condemned to that forever. So that the fact that God would save for himself the people for his own glory, um, we, we've got to recognize um, that there's no argument with that. And Phillips referenced that a couple of times. There's no, um, there's, we are completely silent before this God. Any, any argument. That's right. And it, before, I'm going to pass this to you, Philip, in just a moment. Oftentimes... And I know this in my own life, in my own mind, in my working out of what I see in Scripture. We a- approach this discussion of why do we see some saved and we know that some are not. We approach this from the opposite end of the spectrum than we ought to. We approach this from a man-centered issue and then we make our way to God and question God. That's why I started with God and just a moment ago. Yes, and I'm thankful for that because... This question of salvation, um, Jason, you just preached a sermon from Romans chapter 3 this week, this past Sunday, um, the final Sunday of, of the month of March, and you made this point, which I thought was so helpful and so important, that all men, you just spoke it just a moment ago, but all men um, are condemned before God due to their sinful nature. Um, there aren't any quote-unquote good people that God just throws into the lake of fire just because he's arbitrarily 
choosing some and choosing others. Um, we have this notion that, well, what about so-and-so? They're such a good person. God, surely God wouldn't send them to hell. Oh, my, my, my grandmother, she was such a sweet soul. She took care of us. She loved us. You can't possibly say that there was a possibility of her that God would just, you know, not elect her because she was so, how do you, you know, those kinds of questions are, are the ones that come up in this sort of conversation. So Philip, without, I know I'm trying, I'm not trying to steal your thunder here. Oh, but, you're good. Um, would you, would you kind of add in some thoughts here for paragraph three? Well, really paragraph three says two things. There's two sides here. You've got grace and justice. You've got election and reprobation. Okay. This is what's being uh, represented. The, the first statement down to uh, where it says, according to his glorious grace, by the decree of God, the manifestation of his glory, some men and angels are predestined and foreordained to eternal life through Jesus Christ to the praise of his glorious grace. That's the picture of grace or election, right? The other side of that, others being left in their sin to their just condemnation to the praise of his glorious grace is the, the justice or, or rep, reprobation. I actually think this is the one place in this in this. Uh, chapter where this statement is a little weak, I'll be honest. Others being left in their sin into their just condemnation, that is certainly true, but it, it, it doesn't go far enough because mm. Romans 9, it, it makes very, very clear that out of one lump of clay, God made one vessel for honor and the other vessel for dishonor. I, we may not like it, but this is what God says. And when we question it in, um, and try to say God is unjust or unfair in doing so, that's when Paul comes along and says, man, you got to shut your mouth. You're not allowed to do that. God is just. He has never been anything but just. Man is a God is always, rather, not man, God is always righteous in his acts. And that's the one thing that we need to get clear. Anytime we make uh, accusations like, if God does this, he's evil, we need to remember that a thing is not uh, a thing is not good or bad, uh, and then God does a good or bad thing. A thing is good or bad is good because God does it, right? God is the is the definer of what is good. God is incapable of doing what is bad. And even if what God does, the whole world decides is bad, the Bible says let them all be liars and God be established as true, right? So if God does something that hair lips everybody, God is not unjust. Man is is the one who's who's wrong in his perception of God. Sure. So we need to be clear on that. And, and so I think that the statement on the second half or the second part of that statement is a little weak because, um, but, but keep in mind, I don't think this is where this idea of equal ultimacy comes in. I don't know that God acts on one side in his election the same way he does in, in reprobation. And I say that because of Ezekiel 33, 11 or something, which says, um, I, I, I'm not pleased, right, by the destruction of the wicked. Right. Right. He is he is overjoyed and, and he is glory. And, and there's a party in heaven when a soul repents and believes. Well, right? is it is it Peter that writes that God desires that all men would be saved? It isn't. He doesn't rejoice in the in the uh, and, and of course, that's um, yeah, not. My, a, you got my, got my eyes curling because I think there's a contextual issue there. But OK. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe so. Maybe so. But. Um, but yes, but 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 yeah, he says he doesn't rejoice in, in the death of the wicked, sure, right? He doesn't sure. do he that. Do, God doesn't delight in condemning sinners, and we need right. to make that clear. And yet, God, the way Paul explains it in Romans nine, wanting to show his justice and his grace 
ordained some to believe and others to condemnation. And, um, and yet um, they work those things out as we talked about with paragraph one and two in the context of their own volition and, and so forth and so on. Ezekiel thirty three eleven, say to them, that is, God is using Ezekiel as the mouthpiece. Say to them, that is the nation of Israel, as I live, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live, turn back, turn back from your evil ways. Why will you die, O house of Israel? That's yeah. the text I was thinking about. The other one, I, I, I know I misspoke yeah. on the Peter text. Yeah. But if I may, before we move on to paragraph four, um, I just want to read a couple of verses in Romans chapter nine, the confession footnotes, Romans nine, 22 and 23. And so I'll just read those starting in verse 20. Paul writes, but who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Well, what is molded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory? Those those are some magnificently difficult verses to wrestle with. Um, And I would encourage you, listener, wherever you are, the texts that we are bringing out in this podcast, the texts that are footnoted in the confession, do your your own scripture searching. And and before we move on, keep in mind that Paul knows when he says that, he knows that there's a, in our, in our flesh, there's a difficulty, right? And so he, he knows that. That's why he says, you're going to say to me then, your your response when I say this about who God is, your response is going to be, "How does He hold me responsible?" Yeah, He anticipates the fleshly reaction to the sovereignty of God. Right. You're you're going to say, and my answer to you is, that you you're not thinking right about the creation creator distinctive, right? Creator creation distinctive. You're not thinking correctly about that, and that's really what God's decree ultimately establishes is that there is that distinctive. And it maintains it always. God is creator. He is sovereign. He has the right to rule and judge and declare all things. And there is a creature who is, who is, um, owes, right? Who owes God, um, minimally obedience. It's part of being a creature. Yes. Right. Because <laughs> it's part, of, part of being, it's the, it's the, the pot being made by the potter, the pot is to be used by the potter, however the potter wishes. And the pot doesn't get to question but, exactly that he's a pot. That's right. right. Well, let's move forward in the paragraph uh, into paragraph four. Um, we realize, listener, this is a longer episode, so bear with us. Paragraph four reads: These predestined and foreordained angels and people are individually and unchangeably designated, and their number is so certain and definite that it cannot be either increased or decreased. Now, this this particular paragraph, I think, is pretty clear. This talks about the doctrine of election and. That before time began, God chose a specific group of of people and angels that Scripture speaks to. There's just there's a number that only God knows, and it cannot be changed by any outside influence to God's uh, will and decree. So man can't change that number. Angels can't change that number. Satan can't change that number. Um, Jason, do you want to just quickly? Uh, we, we probably I, I don't think, need to spend a lot of time here. Right. I, I think it speaks to the 
immutability, that is God's unchanging purpose or That's right. decree. It speaks to the particularity of God's uh, election, predestination of those who would be uh, saved of human beings and then angels as well. So um, I think that pretty much sums it up. Yeah, this one's pretty pretty clear. Yeah. Uh, follows very well from the first three paragraphs, right? Right. Philip, you want to add anything here? No, I think that's exactly right. It's about the immutability of his decree. That's I, right. I, I wouldn't that's change right. anything. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's move forward then to paragraph five. It reads, Those people who are predestined to life were chosen by God before the foundation of the world, according to his eternal and unchangeable purpose, and the secret counsel and good pleasure of his will. He chose them in Christ for eternal glory, purely as a result of his free grace and love, without anything else about them serving as a condition. This is important, listener. Without anything else about them serving as a condition or cause, moving him to do so. Philip, would you speak to this paragraph specifically? Yeah, and I don't think we have to spend much time on this one either because this is really the substance or the nuts and bolts of it all. Here's what it ultimately says, that God predestined, God was the one. He did it before the foundation of the world. He did it according to his immutable and eternal purpose, right? And because he wanted to, the good pleasure of his will. And it says, why? Everlasting glory by his free grace and love and without condition in man. That's really the whole paragraph, right? Here's what God did. Here's who he did it to. And here's what it ultimately accomplishes. And here's what did and did not affect his choosing, right? God made his choices based on his choices. All his decision-making originated in him alone. That's right. And not in anything the creature is or does. That's right. And that's really the nuts and bolts of it. It happened in eternity before we ever existed. And, and it happened because God wanted to, and it ultimately um, is an expression of his grace and his love toward the creature. Yeah, yeah. And I would just summarize it in the sense that, so this would definitely speak to more of a Calvinistic, a, uh, a reformed view of who God is, right, in this tr- reformed theological tradition. But it would stand over and against an Arminian position, broadly speaking, that God would foresee uh, the, it says here that the final sentence is without anything about them serving as a condition or cause moving him to do so. So God did not react to what man would potentially do and then make his choice or decree accordingly. Right. Yeah. So, so that's that's a huge distinction between um, many listener, many, many people today hold this. Um, there's a, a I don't want to get into this much, but there's a. Um, a theological paradigm called Molinism that speaks that God uh, essentially learns things and he kind of reacts to man's, uh, Molinism holds to a, um, a free will of man that is um, libertarian, which is an autonomous free will versus more of this reformed version of man's will that is constrained and, and in chains by his sin nature. Right. And so uh, we, that's that's a whole other category. But um, Jason, do you have anything to add to this? Well, I was just going to say that the things that um, are understood to be foreseen in us—faith, repentance, perseverance, holiness, for example—those are supposedly to be foreseen by God in us, so that 
he would elect. That's right. But those things are the fruits of election. They are Amen. not uh, within man's natural state. That's right. exactly right. Yeah. So um, there's nothing that he would look at in, within us, whether it be any of those things I just said. That's or, very helpful. You know, uh, something yes. else that um, would attract him to us. Sure, sure. And again, this whole chapter, um, footnotes Ephesians chapter 1. Almost every paragraph footnotes Ephesians chapter 1. So listener, if you if you want to dig deeper, if you have a study Bible, um, Ephesians chapter 1, go read through that and follow your footnotes, follow your um, cross-references, and you can dig dig into Scripture yourself in well, these Ephesians conversations. Well, Ephesians 1 and Romans 9 are the two Roma, most Romans, common ones. That's right, this, Romans 9 as well. Yeah. Romans that's 9 right. and Ephesians 1. So listener, go do your own uh, searching here. Um, and and see what Scripture is speaking to. So let's move forward, um, continuing to move forward in this uh, chapter, uh, paragraph 6. Just as God has appointed the elect to glory, so he, is also, so he has by the eternal and completely free purpose of his will foreordained all the means. And we've already mentioned this a bit. Therefore, those who are, being, those who are elected being fallen in Adam are redeemed by Christ, and effectually called to faith in Christ by His Spirit, working at the appropriate time. They are justified, adopted, sanctified, and kept by His power through faith to salvation. No one but the elect are redeemed by Christ, or effectually called, justified, adopted, sanctified, and saved. Now before we, we give a little commentary here, um, I know personally, I've heard of, of folks who have made this, and we've. This isn't to rehash something we've already covered, but this heartfelt desire to think that there's always a chance for that brother or that family member or that friend, up until their point of death. There's, there, we're holding out that that small glimmer of hope that they will choose Jesus and they will choose on their own account to hear the word and to repent of their sins and to choose. Jesus Christ for salvation. And there's this perpetual, um, well, they haven't yet, but maybe they will. But this is teaching that, of course, we should desire the salvation of those that we love, of course, and, and those that are lost. But there is, there are some that will not. And this is a difficult thing to, to grasp. And so, Jason, uh, I'll give this to one of you guys, whoever wants to, to follow up this paragraph. Oh, what we've said so far is that um, can are there any that are saved outside of the elect? And the answer is no, because the elect is a number that God has correct uh, decreed. Correct. Uh, we're saying that the difference between those who come to life and those who go to eternal death is God's choosing, not based on any condition within them, right? And then we're saying that if you the, then the question I think that would come is, well, how do I know if I'm elect? This is the paragraph that helps you understand that. Amen. This paragraph helps you understand if you... Um, and paragraph seven is going to get even more into that. Okay. Yes. yes. Yeah. And that's where this is going to end up. Yeah. Right. Correct. Okay. So let, let, we'll move to that a little go, more. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Well, uh, you know, <laughs> the, the, if you have uh, a desire for God, if you... Uh, mm. have trusted in Christ for your justification. If if you are pursuing the means of grace in your life and those are sweet to you yes. and they're not burdensome, then these become 
the evidence is of the yeah. the election. Let me look ahead to chapter to, to paragraph yeah, seven for a moment can, because we, it'll make fine. that point. Okay. Go ahead. Okay, because it says, um, and I'm reading from a, a, an older version, but it says that men, or the doctrine of this high mystery of predestination, is to be handled with special prudence and care. Men attending the will of God, listen to that, revealed in His Word and yielding obedience thereunto, may from the certainty of their effectual vocation be assured of their eternal election. Right, mm. the fact that your your heart has been changed, your affections have been changed, and you are obedient to God's word, um, that is the evidence of your calling. That's right. That is the truth. There's the of it. inward desire and the outward the outward obedience of the individual that proves and shows the evidence of their salvation. And he's going to go on to say this should produce in man, right, praise for God, humility, and hope. Uh, you know, humility in man, but hope and peace in what God has done, right? right. So there's a hope because God, his, his calling is effectual. We're, there's real hope in the fact that my life has been transformed, right? So this is the evidence that I've been saved. It's a wonderful uh, right. Uh, right. proof and, of it all. And and what we're hoping for as we pray for lost family members or loved ones, yes. as you said, you know, we're, we're hoping for them to... to decide to come to Christ, what we're hoping and praying for, and this is what gives us confidence to do this, we are praying that God would have mercy on them. That's right. Right? That's right. It, it is God who is going to uh, number them with the elect if he so chooses. So we we pray, God, please have mercy on them. Yeah. But if you don't, for whatever your purposes are, um, we can trust that all things are well. You are right and just. And that's the tension that we've been talking about. Yes. Go ahead, Philip. Well, no, I was just going to point us forward to providence, which we're gonna which we've already dealt with in essence in our in our teaching, but which is going to be two chapters forward in the in the confession, which is going to make that point, right? We, we because God uses means, we do pray. Mm-hmm. Because God uses means, we do proclaim the truth. Or we go to our loved one and we Preach grace, the free grace of the gospel, right? That God saves sinners, and you're a sinner if you'll turn from your sin and believe. And we trust in the power of the gospel to save, Romans 1.16. We trust in God's um, uh, you know, salvific plan, and, and we don't know who the elect are. That's the amazing thing about this whole thing. God has said, call, indiscriminately call, indiscriminately preach, to, to, to all men, the gospel, and God will save. And he promises, if we're faithful, to honor our faithfulness and, and, and bring people to salvation. He promises not to lose a single one, right? So there is real uh, comfort in that. Yeah, so uh, these two final paragraphs definitely are speaking to the same concept. Seven goes a little bit deeper. But so let's go ahead and move. Uh, we're just crossing the one-hour mark for this episode. Let's go ahead and, and guys, let's let's find a, a landing strip here for this conversation regarding the decree of God. I'll, I'll read this final paragraph, and we'll look at it just a little bit deeper, and then we'll wrap things up. Paragraph 7 reads, The doctrine of the high mystery of predestination is to be handled with special prudence, This is so key for us as we're dealing with this individually. To be handled with special prudence and care, so that those heeding the will of God revealed in His Word and obeying Him may be assured of their eternal election by the certainty of their effectual calling. 
In this way, this doctrine will give reasons for praise, reverence, and admiration of God, as well as humility, diligence, and rich comfort to all who sincerely obey the gospel. And I think the first thing that comes to mind is I have someone, multiple someones that I'm thinking about right at this moment that I know have a verbal profession of faith in Jesus Christ, but yet there's zero evidence outwardly of any desire to be a part of the body of Christ, to desire to read his word, to obey the gospel, to bring praise to God with their life and their thoughts and their actions. And for me, that's a difficult thing to wrestle with because this person or these people, and I'm sure you guys probably know the, know this sort of thing that I'm discussing. There is a, a mere verbal profession of faith, but there's no evidence of a true conversion and a true, truly saved person. Because we know that scripture speaks, and there are several footnotes here, that there are outward evidences. And I know we already we already discussed this just a little bit, but let's flesh this out just to, for a few minutes before we wrap our podcast up today. Work out your salvation. Amen. Right, That's what the Bible says, right? That's right. Work out your salvation. And it doesn't mean work for your salvation. It says work out your Conf- salvation. Confirm your calling. Yes. Make your election and calling sure. Prove to yourself, yeah, you know, that that you're called by by living out, um, you know, the the effectual nature of regeneration is ultimately what it boils down to. What, the, the amazing thing about this text right here is it says the obedient evidence they're elect, um, but the election shouldn't be a thing that causes man grief or or pride uh, or or proud. But yeah, but yeah. should but should give him um, real comfort. That's right. It should cause him to praise God. It should instill humility in a man and should give him, like I said, that warm blanket to rest in, right? I mean, why when everything appears to be out of control in the society we live in, you know, we can, we can, um, we can give real flesh to this. If we just take for a moment and consider the, the man and woman who, who lives in Ukraine, right now who knows that God is in control is living in a different world than the person who doesn't that's that's right right next door that's right and I because they know live or die they are in the hand of God that's right? right that God will not abandon them that he is faithful Right, and they rest and they live in that world, and and this is why theology matters. That's right. The man next door who doesn't hold that view, he he his his life is is dramatically different. We're not saying that the person who holds that view isn't concerned for the welfare of their children or their home or their goods or any. They are, they are, and those are legitimate concerns. But there is a different way in which they react and live their life on a daily basis, and this is what he's telling us. This is what is offered to us. In this thing, comfort and hope, a reality of this, the recognition that I have nothing to offer God and in his condescension and in his grace and in his freedom, he chose me and I rest in the fact that he loves me and he's loved me from eternity past and that he will always love me. He'll never stop loving me because he, 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 he gave himself for me. That's right. right. This is, this is why this is so important. Yeah. And I would say that to apply this doctrine of the decree of God that brings in the sovereignty of God, 
the election of sinners by God, the keeping of the redeemed by God, right? These are these truths that fuel our evangelism and our missions because he has decreed that the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ be proclaimed to all the world. This is Matthew 28. This is Romans 10. How will they hear unless it's it's uh, preached to them, right? And so the, the man and woman who are in Ukraine, who have the lost neighbor next door, that tragic, tragic situation of this invasion um, that's happened should, should not only cause them to care for their lost neighbors, but to go to their lost neighbors in that time of tragedy and present the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the person who's living in utter terror and fear of, um, because we know that natural man knows that there is a problem and that when you don't have to be told that if you die without God, that's a bad thing. Um, we see that in Romans chapter one, that it, that is, that is part of being human is we realize the imminence of death and we are naturally f- afraid of death because there's, there's something worse coming in, in one sense. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a real sense in which our, our understanding of God's decree, our understanding of God's sovereignty informs our doctor, our, our theology of suffering. Right. Mm. And, and here's what I'm going to say, because um, Peter actually says in this famous apologetic text, right. Um, but men will see that there's a difference in you in yes. the context of suffering. Yes. And they will ask, why? Why are you different than me? Why are you able to endure suffering and I can't? How do you have hope and I, I don't? I need hope. How do you have hope? And he says, and, and in that moment, you'll be able to say, you'll be able to give a, a, a reasoned argument for the hope that lies within you. And, and he tells, in essence, because he's established throughout this whole text, God has cared for you. And he starts with God's sovereignty. You are suffering people. And the first thing I want to remind you is God loved you before time and he chose you for himself. And he establishes that truth to give them comfort. And he says, that's the initial truth you need to know to inform your theology of suffering. And when people see it, they'll, they'll want to know why. Uh, perhaps this will be a good way to end this. But um, just this week, I had someone talk to me about our church and they were asking questions and we were dialoguing back and forth about things. They said, again, speak a lot about the sovereignty of God around here. Uh, and what is that? How am I supposed to take that in my life? What, what, how am I supposed to use that? I mean, this was a, a legitimate question, concern. That's good. Yeah. That's and good. they didn't know. And, and, yeah. and I said, okay, well, let me give you some thoughts that might be helpful. Number one, um, we can know that God is sovereign over Ukraine, over Russia, Joe Biden, what's going on in the culture. And I can have some sense of uh, comfort and a sense of um, these aren't just happenstance. This is not the world going crazy by its own design. This is something that God is purposely, intentionally doing for his own purposes. Uh, secondly, and it, it helps me in my evangelism. Now I can share the gospel freely, boldly, clearly. Without the, fear. Without fear. Without fear and without any sense of obligation that I've got to talk this person into a that's decision. Right. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. Yes. And I've got to manipulate that, that person so that they're going to pray this prayer of salvation. Yes. 
Uh, thirdly, I said, if I get diagnosed with cancer tomorrow, I can know that that's come to me by the hand of a good God. That it's not something that's arbitrarily come to me because um, the world is bad. Uh, that may be part of the circumstances and the reality that God uses because cancer would be a result of the fall. But at the same time, I can know that God just hasn't uh, abandoned me and left me to cancer. Oh, it's so he good. He has purpose yes. for what that cancer is going to do in my life. And how helpful this doctrine helps our pastoral ministry and our counseling. of this. this is such, that's a wonderful thing because so many times we view illness or sudden death as catching God by surprise. And listener, uh, if you have, if this has been helpful, we hope that this has been helpful for you today. But there is nothing that has caught or will catch God by surprise um, at all. There aren't any caveats. There aren't any exceptions to this doctrine. This is a, a total doctrine. This is a comprehensive doctrine. And all of our heartfelt questions regarding the troubles and, and uh, despairs of life. Um, we we first go to what we know to be true before we uh, try to figure out how it is that this is taking place. What we know to be true is that God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. He owns the cattle of a thousand hills. Um, uh, the, the, the earth is the Lord's and all therein. Psalm 24, chapter one. Um, he is the king reigning. He is the creator. We are the creature. Um, all of these things come into place. We, we need to constantly remind ourselves as believers of these truths when times get difficult and times get hard. And we can use these truths to comfort and to encourage other fellow believers as well. Well, that's it for today's episode. We thank you so much for taking the time to listen in to the Asking for a Friend podcast. And we hope that it has been a blessing to you today. Please like and share our podcast um, on social media, whether it be Facebook or Twitter or uh, whatever social media sites that you're on. Please share this with someone that you know. Tag folks. And if you have any questions for us that you'd like us to address on the podcast at a later date, you can access through the media tab on our church website. You can access the question box and you can send us a question and we'll consider it to answer in a further podcast. Until next time. Grace and peace be with you all.